So what design stuff? You said you want to talk about a bunch of design well, stuff. Well, you know, maybe given the, given the intro you just laid out, I'd love to hear more about your early life because I, I know. My early life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, when did, when did you get involved in games? And, 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 oh, I've uh, done this a hundred times. People are going to put everybody to sleep with this. Hey gang, it's Harold, and here is another podcast. This podcast is singularly composed of an interview with prolific designer Mark Herman. We will discuss his philosophy of game design and what makes a great game. Any opportunity I get to play a game with Mark Herman, I jump at. Mark's in L.A. this week, and we meet in between San Diego and L.A. at Brookhurst Hobbies. We have a lot to talk about. Mark's a great guy to play games with. You might think he pontificates about designs and design principles, but I only get that when I ask for it. The marvelous thing about playing games with Mark Herman is he fully immerses himself in the history. He never points to a spot on the map. Instead, he refers to the places by their appropriate names, often with a note from the history on a great battle or a unit origin. He doesn't talk generically about units. Rather, he talks about unit names and IDs and, again, the history of that unit or a general. He clearly transports back to that place and time. We could all learn something from this. Mark isn't solving a puzzle. He's commanding an army or division with a massive influx in games in our hobby, it's easy to lose touch with the reason we love these games, the history. Mark loves the history. As we talk about design concepts, he sounds meticulous and analytical. That's what we want from the great board game designer. But play a game with Mark Herman and you'll be reminded why we all started playing games in the first place. Empire of the Sun is something you're particularly proud of, as you should be, right? Is that is, is that your masterwork so far? You know, I, that I, as I've said before, that's for other people to determine. I I, I like it, right? But um, what do you think? I mean, what what do I think? What, what is what, what do you think about what what's what's the best you've done so far? Oh, I I can I can't tell you what I think is the best because what people think is the best varies. Some people will probably tell you Fort Sumter is the best thing I ever did. I had a guy uh, who I respect. Um, came up to me he said you know not to be insulting he said but we the people's the best thing you ever did ever you know the stuff you've done since is good but and then i had another guy who's he said he said by the way you know he's a very um another guy uh his name is rob he said you know he's very uh, critical of most games he said by the way churchill's easily the best game you've ever done so i mean there's a it, it just depends on what strikes somebody right? right um so what strikes you well i like so I have, I like games that are um, have lots of levers and dials, because I like to be I like to have a big, uh, you know, a lot of ways to come into a problem, and I like the, uh, I like having strategic problems that change. Like, uh, so let's talk about Empire of the Sun. So this, so one of the things I do, is and so just to give you some numbers. So in a eighty-four card, any eighty-four card deck which happens to be the Allied deck and the size of the Allied deck and the Japanese deck once you take out the two um, 
December cards. Uh, there are 4.529 billion unique seven-card hands. So that's a pretty big number, right? And you can realize that nobody lives that long, right? And I once ran a, a, a Monte Carlo simulation, and there are, out of 4.529 billion hands, there's probably only a couple of hundred thousand where, like, you got all one cards or something. You know, it's rare. So the thing that I do all the time is I like, so the, I always enjoy, for whatever reason, I've always been fascinated by the Japanese attack on, you know, the, the, the thing that started the war. Not the Pearl Harbor part as much as the entire choreography of the, um, you know, the, what they call the IAI operation, which took over, you know, Malaya, the Philippines, and the Dutch East Indies, and Burma, right? that whole thing. And then, of course, the stuff into the South Pacific. And so... For me, that was always the thing that really fascinates me. So I have, you know, I have a book that was, I just got recently, a translation of the Japanese, that the Japanese put out, now it's in English, it was translated, of like the exact, where every frickin' battalion was in that attack. And I, and I sometimes just sit there and look at that, you know. So, you know, we all have something that fascinates us. Um, I've always been fascinated by the Battle of Gettysburg, you know. And I find it interesting that I, when I do a Battle of Gettysburg game, I do it with like, you know, 20 pieces, <laughs> 19 pieces, actually, <laughs> you know, which, which I think it was appropriate given that there's been so many great ones with a million pieces. So the only way to, I think, do something special was to do it, see how, you know, I'm only going to do this with 20 pieces. Let me see what I could do. So that was, but going back to Empire of the Sun. So like this morning I was sitting there, you know, waiting, to, you know, I didn't want to leave too early to come to meet you. And I was sitting there and I was watching the news. And of course I have commercials, which, you know, tons of commercials so what i do during commercials I, I shuffle the japanese deck i deal out seven cards i look at them i figure out what i would do with that for turn two of empire of the sun which is the um you know the first uh, first third of 1942 then i deal out seven more cards which is the second so i look at always look at the first two turns and i say would i have any trouble uh would i have any trouble um you know accomplishing the historical and, and the answer is no, this would be, and every so often I come up with an interesting hand. So one of the ones I drew this morning was a hand that would have been a real challenge. And I said, okay, so I've only got one really good card, you know, strong card to do a lot of stuff. And I then started thinking about all the different ways I would do that card differently with the other cards. So every hand is a unique gaming experience to me, and that's what I like about it. Uh, I like... And that's why I like CDGs, I mean, because I like a hand of cards. I like having these choices. And as I told you once before, you know, the, the genius of the coin series is Volko took all that complexity out by letting you only look at two cards. And, and everybody sees them. So there's no – and that, that complexity level coming out of the game is great from a popularity point of view. There's a lot of – it's a simulation. The, the simulation's in other places. It's in the ops and special activities is really where that simulation lives. But for me, I like the, um, the problem of what do I do – what's the best way to play these seven cards or five cards, depending on what the game is. And that's what I, I – so I like that. So I just finished a game, uh, you know, playing solitaire. I played a game of four of the people because I want to play in the tournament at WBC this year. And quite frankly, I haven't played a lot of it. And, I, and I, I played through it. And I remember looking at the end of the first turn and go, boy, if I was a union player in this game, I would get ready to hit, you know, throw in the towel. But I'd keep fi- and so I, I soldiered on, and I had a really good game. But you know, you got to get, you, you get yourself up to speed. But I stay up to speed on Empire of the Sun. But that's what I like about 
that level of complexity, and that's what I call strategic complexity. And that's not mechanical complexity, although I happen to like mechanical complexity. Um, what I don't like is um, I like having multiple procedures that are simple. What I don't like is multiple procedures that are very, like, 28,000 steps. You know, like I said, there are some, like, Napoleonic and, uh, you know, Frederick the Great games where a cavalry charge could be, one cavalry charge could take 20 minutes. That's, I, I, there was a time in my life I loved that. Now, I don't mind having, like, in Pericles, I have, like, six procedures, but they all are, like, play a card, do what it says kind of thing versus, you know, simple stuff. So I don't mind six simple procedures. I just don't want to have six ridiculous procedures because otherwise the game drags. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't mind. I can master that, and then the cards are the, my strategic complexity, and I enjoy that. Or it could be on the board position, you know, a board position where there's puzzle of the board, which you get in Empire of the Sun also, by the way, and you get that in Pericles and other games that I like. You know, what is the best combination of things to make something happen? And then thinking, but I have a hand of cards. What do I do with the next card? You know, what do I, how do I do this so that my forces move on the board, my cards are, and, which are logistics, by the way. People go cards, you know. I remember when I came up with, when We the People came out, oh, my God. The, the anger, the, the nerd rage was awesome. I mean, people going like, You've this is not history, this is not a simulation, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just so funny. Uh, now that's sort of accepted. Like, but but the, my only point is it's like, it's that ability to see multiple moves ahead, what you do in chess, and then having the cards, the board position, the pieces. And then the thing that I'm also very big on is, you know, there's randomness, right? So... The real challenge is how to make randomness random but not overbearing. So, you know, so anybody who knows is, you know, knows any kind of thing about card decks, you know, the N choose K and, you know, you just, you can get it to the point where, uh, like I did in Fort Sumter with the crisis track and how it worked with the cards, it doesn't matter what your luck is you're going to end up about in the same place because the simulation handles that. It's got break, natural breaks on it and things like that. Um, you know, the one I always have about it, hear about in Empire of the Sun is I got a kamikaze card in my opening hand that's unrealistic. I, and, I, and I debated with myself leaving the titles off, but then it loses all this cool flavor. You know, what was the inspiration for this card? Uh, and so it's a 2OC card. You know, it's a two card early in the game, but the math of the card is such that you're only going to get one, maybe two kamikaze cards at the right time in the game where they actually will be kamikaze cards. Otherwise, it just... You know, it's just energy. It's logistics. Right. And that's what cards do. They're logistics. And people go, well, this game has oil points. Well, I have cards. They're oil points, too, whatever you want to look at. I also like um, when you have a very defined role in the game. In other words, in Empire of the Sun, speaking of that one, you are not the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You're not the President of the United States. You're not the carrier commander. You are MacArthur. You know, you're Nimitz. You're Yamamoto. I've said that many times. But the point is, is that the cards represent both the, the logistics that you got, this playthrough of it, and, and the event cards are saying, if you kind of go this way, there's some, it, it, there's some finessiness. Like if you go this direction and you go after this place, there's a little bit of a, a modifier in your favor because that's what they wanted you to do. But historically, the commanders didn't do what they were always told to do. You know, they, you know, they accelerated things. They slowed them down. They just did things ad hoc. So there's things that were inserted without oversight uh but they didn't get the but they didn't get all the coordination benefits then 
So, you know, that's in the game. So right. that kind of stuff. But randomness, and then for me, you know, I, I have a basic view, as I told you, the dice love no one. And so what you want to do with dice is, in Empire of the Sun, I can guarantee success or failure based on how I play it sometimes. What I can't determine is casualties. And so I, I really do favor combat systems that say, if you do all the things right, you can have a disaster, but it's not a, um, it, it, it's a painful disaster, but it's not a, I, it, I lost the war disaster. And that's why I try to work, because most, most, you know, most history doesn't work. You know, there have been some amazing decisive battles, and that's always a, that's always a problem. Right. You know, if Alexander the Great gets killed, it, you know, Granicus, oops, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the evasion's yeah, over. Big deal, yeah. Yeah, there are some people, you know, Napoleon takes a bullet in the forehead early in his career. Well, he doesn't get to be Napoleon. So there are, I mean, one of the, my favorite stories is at the Battle of Princeton, George Washington, if you remember, by the way, after Trenton, the British, uh, Howe comes down, and he has him hemmed in, and then in a night march, you know, Washington pulls out and goes around and he heads up into the middle of Jersey, New Jersey. And he runs into a, um, you know, some British forces that are moving around up around Princeton University, which is a small town in that day. And they have a, a, the Battle of Princeton, which is, uh, I actually saw the real painting in the governor's mansion in Jersey, in New Jersey once. So in that battle, George Washington leads a counterattack into the mouth of a British regiment or battalion or whatever, you know, a bunch of guys, a lot of guys with muskets. And nobody follows him. And he turns around, nobody's there. And then the British, an entire British line lets go. At it. He's like 40 yards away, right? So 40 yards is, I don't know, here to the back of the close, building a little bit. It's pretty close, yeah. you know? They could see him. And apparently some number of bullets went through his coat. Didn't get touched. He takes one in the forehead just as easily. He, take, right. he could take those, the eight bullets that missed him could have been eight bullets that hit him and he'd be dead and then everything changes. Right. So there are those moments, but you try to, you know, that's not fun. (laughs) They're not fun, and we don't play the games for those moments. No, that's not what you're looking for. I mean, when you're behind, you'd like to have one, but it's not, doesn't make you feel good if you win because of that. Yeah, but like in For the People, uh, you know, Stonewall Jackson did get killed, right, in battle. Right. And I have a a model of casualties that says the aggressive, you know, the aggressive commanders are the ones who got killed. It wasn't, the guy who sat in the back didn't get killed because the bullets don't go that far. But if you're at the, near the front all the time and there's lead flying around, you are going, and every, and so in For the People, people go, I don't like the randomness of how leaders get killed. I said, because why should it be that I got a really good die roll, I got a 10, and the guys got killed? I said, because that's about the best model I can come up with about what I, I want it all random. I said, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, you know, you have to get close. Now, right. some random guys do get killed, but, you know, the, the more, and remember, you know, the famous one, you know, Lee's at the wilderness was moving up and, and the soldiers wouldn't attack. It lead, lead to the rear. You know, you go back, we'll go do this, but you need not to be here because they knew what would happen. Right. You know, they knew, right? And they didn't, they liked them. Right, <laughs> and they said, right. we're, we're going to die. We got that part, but you, not so much. Yeah. You need to, <laughs> you need to shuffle to the back there, boss, and let right. us take care of this thing. You know, right. that's, so that's how I built that. But, so some people say, well, I lost all these generals. Well, that's supposed to happen. Right, right. <laughs> They're supposed to get killed. <laughs> but people hate that. Right. Um, but, you know, there you go. The randomness is part of the game. Part of the fun. And Euro guys apparently hate that stuff. I, I say that is a general rule that's in, probably incorrect, but most of the criticisms I've seen of 
a lot of games that I've done that get played by people who are not war gamers is the random the game is just all random luck. There's no game here, mm-hmm. and I'm realizing that they're really more like chess players. Right. You know, I just watched uh, chess this morning. You know, the, uh, there's a London Championship going on. There is no luck in chess. Right. It's the only reason why the church finally accepted it. By the way, the priests were playing it. They said no dice. All the, the devil, not the devil's game, because you could see all the pieces. Right. Everything's known. There's no randomness. It's the, it's God's game, right? right? Right. And I think Euro players kind of come from that. They want to have a very deterministic. Yeah, th- there are certainly players that see dice and assume that it's extremely random, right? Whereas you're saying that they're incorporated and it creates variability. The the, the randomness and it can be done badly, and it can be done badly. Yeah, absolutely, and and the randomness uh, in in the games that they enjoy still come from the cards, right? And the selection of whatever it is, the pieces or the chits that happen on the map, and the and the variability in human behavior. Yeah, right. But it's uh, but it's more determined. But it's not but, based but on. They a don't roll like of it dice. through the dice. They don't like it through the dice, yeah. and you know, and, and that's that's fine. I mean, that's what everybody likes what they like. But I I feel that if a game designer does his or her job correctly, they are they are making sure that the impact of the dice is is, you know, you know, governed in some right. it's you know, it's you're not you're not letting the extreme you know, let's face it, it you know, if you if any game, whatever if if one is the bad die roll and you you insist on rolling ones all day long, okay. What mm-hmm. am I gonna tell you? Big a die I, I mean I'm one of those guys who could take twenty dice, throw them and get you know, not get one hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Which I this is what I fixed in Empire of the Sun was I just said okay, there's a there's one die roll but it's a floor of twenty five percent. You're never going to get less than twenty five percent. So if you really abs- if you absolutely got to have it happen, if you got to get ten hits on the guy, send forty, you're going to win. That's how right. I right. So it doesn't matter what you roll in the dice, right? You know, but it's going to take you a lot of resources to guarantee the dice. So you can take the dice out of it in my games when I can make that happen, right? But it's going to cost you and re- in, in Churchill. Uh, it was a good example. People, oh, the game came down to a die roll. What die roll? Well, I, the, the front didn't advance. Well, the answer is is because you're not thinking about the problem right. In other words, if you've, got, you've got all these, you've got like six, seven fronts, one, two, three, three, four, five, six, you have seven fronts in the game, right? So you have seven fronts, and you've got X amount of offensive chits. Well, if you throw a few around to all seven, you could blow a whole lot of die rolls. But, again, it's one of my games, if you pile them up on this one, it's guaranteed he's going, this one's going to advance. And this one's got a lower prob- a bunch of them have lower probabilities, but you're dicing anyway. But, you know, so you've got to sort of, you got to understand how to cover your downside right. to make sure that this has to happen. The rest of this stuff would be nice to happen. Right. And if you have no priority scheme like that, then you're not really playing well. Right. And then you are letting the dice run the game. Right. You know, a friend of mine used to say, uh, used to describe people as being pregnant of the year, which is the last thing you heard is what you remember. <laughs> and, and I think that happens with gamers as well, right? Sometimes mm. we play a game, you and I might play a game that's so close that the last combat, the last dice roll, the last, uh, you know, right, the resolution drives is the game. And people, the game. some people love that and, and some and, people hate and it. And some people say it's too, the game is too random. And, and it happens in sports. It happens in football. I love football. It happens yeah. in football all the time, right, where it comes down to the last play. L- the last question, night. The, exact- the L.A. game last night. Yes. They, they were on the, what, the 26, four seconds on the clock. You've got a, you know, top-notch defense. You've got a top-notch offense. All the guy has to do is catch the ball in the end zone, and, the, and it's tie game. Right. So the question is always, why did you let it get to that, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what did you what, – it, it, it's not that the game is too random. 
It's that what, you made a series of choices that ended up where you needed a dice roll at the end. Well, you know, a great example, this is a good, I like this thread, so let's just push it one more step. So last, yesterday, you know, this morning, you know, so this was like early this morning, London is in the late afternoon, this is, and um, Hikaru Nakamura and this guy, he's got three names, but he's French, like uh, Graves, Graves, anyway, uh, he goes by acronym but he's three names but he's a french guy and they're in the finals and the game is um you know it's chess right and they're in the, the final second if somebody wins this game they're gonna like probably win the championship and it comes out a draw so the point was is they they kept it was always on the edge that somebody had an edge but they but because of the lack of any randomness they were able to you know stop each other's everything down to a draw right most war games don't end in a draw and so, we, by design, I mean, it, historically, most of these, you know, we don't do battles. There are some draw battles, you know, in history that we look at, but, but usually somebody won, and, you know, there's factors in it. It might have been a close battle or whatever, but, and so if, you got, if your game comes down to the last article, it's like a chess game that came down to a draw, and you just didn't acknowledge the draw. Right. Well, let's roll the die one more time, you know, and somebody, you know, that was the little piece that put me over the edge, but it was obviously a close game. Right. It wasn't a blowout. You know, I've had some games that have been blowouts. Sometimes, usually against me, but <laughs> but, but but their experiences. <laughs> I never forgot. Uh, there was this game called um, uh, Firefight from SPI when I first got there. Mm-hmm. It had just come out, and there was a friend of mine named uh, Tony. And Tony was, you know, you know, f- a retired U.S. Army sniper, Vietnam, you know, new new stuff. And uh, so we and first time I played Firefight with him, we figured out the game and we played, and he just you know wiped me off the table. And then I don't think I ever lost a game of firefight after that because the loss taught me everything I shouldn't do. Right. Yeah, I was like, oh, you shouldn't get in front of that long-range missile over here because that's going to be really bad. Maybe I should throw some smoke out first and try to, you know, it, it, so which is what the Army was hoping for. Somebody would learn something. Right. I picked it up, you know. Right, so, right. I so mean, soldiers are, are better than me. That's great. Yeah. That's funny. So what about, um, we talk a lot about balance, and I know that you play a lot of your games, or, or you you. You, you're participating in a lot of your games at WBC, right? Well, so the answer is I run the tournament. I don't. I rarely play in a. I never play in my own tournaments ever. Got it. Some guy, you know, uh, yeah, because ultimately somebody's going to have a rules question, right? No, and I think it's smart. I, I no, I, I'm I'm there to help promote the game and get and help people, and I can't help them if I'm in the game, right? I can help. I can offer it. Like, I don't understand what to do. I take them aside. Okay, here's how the game works. You can do this, this. And, oh, I didn't know that. So I can teach them while they're playing that's if they're great. having problems, which is what I'm trying to do. Right. And I can't do that if I'm in the game, right? right. So that's, that, that's obvious. Now, I'm going to play in For the People this year just because um, I gave the tournament over to uh, you know, the, the, the guy who's the best player, James Pye, uh, years ago. He runs the tournament now, so I'm, I won't be the one running the tournament, although there's always some weird rules ruling. They come, I, even at WBC, I came up, and they go, hey, what happens with, and I go like, oh. Come on, guys. <laughs> Give me a break. You don't know the answer to this one by now, so we dealt with that. But um, and, and I think that was about an 87-thing uh, thread on, on the For the People board on CSW. There hasn't been that many messages on the For the People board like in, you know, eight years. And we had like 100 messages, you know, about this one, <laughs> right. you know, nuanced thing about the emancipation. Was, was it the, oh, it was the Emancipation Proclamation and on garrison forts and all this kind of crazy. It was just, you know, gnashing of teeth. Um, but you know, we got through all that. So my point is I'm going to play in For the People because a bunch of guys are coming that haven't been there in years. I just want to play games. With, I haven't played For the People. Um, 
in a long time, so I wanted to play some people. So that so I had to right. play a little bit so I can do that. Um, but anyway, uh, but I but I think this it, it really draws out that that if if competitive tournaments are a big part of your portfolio, right? Yeah, they that, are. That that balance is important to you when you're designing. It is, uh, but let me. And I've written about this in my, you know, and as you know, I have a column in in, in C3I magazine, so I have written about this. So well, let me sort of lay it out. Those who don't read the, you know, don't read the column or to get the magazine that particular issue when I wrote the column, um, play balance is a, a, is multi. Well, first off, is the general situation right? You know how you design the game, but the other question is. Um, how does, you know, cards and randomness affect it? But the biggest factor that affects, should affect game outcome is the players. And so, for instance, for the people is considered perfectly balanced as a game could be because it, if you're a good player, you could play the Confederates or you could play the Union and you could, you'll win the game Nine, 95 out of 100 times. Yeah, there's always, I'm sure there's some weird situation. But you have to actually be a good game player to beat somebody who's a good game player and for the people. And then there was this interesting debate, you know, should a game be balanced for a novice level of play or the expert level of play? And I was like, I thought it was a interesting, at first I didn't appreciate the nuance of the question. But when I thought about it, I realized that one, I would only design a game to be balanced for the expert level of play. But I could see where somebody who's going to play a game once or twice is going to be put off by a game that you actually have to know something to play it well. And my answer is don't play my games. You know, that I'm not going to design a game where, you know, there isn't something there for skill. Uh, otherwise, why the heck would you want to play it more than once? Right, right. <laughs> and I, I really do feel that um, if, I'm, if you're going to lay out, I think, what is, I mean, think Empire of Sun's 90 bucks, you know, MSRP. I'm, nobody pays 90 bucks for it, but... You know, you get it online. You'll get it for yeah, you get 60, it at GMT 70. sale. GMT sale be half, right and you know yeah. whatever. But let's just say that you're going to lay out 60 bucks. Let's just use that as a number. 60 dollars is 60 dollars, and if you're going to be put out 60 dollars of your money to buy a game, I would like to feel that if you picked it up 10 years from now, you would still enjoy it. And, and so, you know, for the people came out one score in one year ago, people are still playing it. So anybody who bought a copy for the people is still playing the game. And that means they got their money's worth. I have, I have supplied them with a professional thing that was worth owning. Uh, but I see, you know, on all the time, these sales, people, you know, selling, you know, I have, here are these 87 games that I'm trying to get rid of. Now, obviously, as we get older, we start downsizing and stuff like that. But nobody wants them. <laughs> so right. They already got their copy. I mean, right. so, you know, but... Uh, but the but the but the point being is balance matters. But it's I have to balance it based on who's playing. Um, you know, like I said, if I played you in Empire of the Sun, it doesn't matter which side I play. I'm going to beat you because mm. you don't know the rules well enough. You don't know the strategy well enough. It's not a mm. like I'm really great. It's just I'm good at this one, and you you kill me in uh, China Sea, mm -hmm. you know, South China Sea. So it's just a matter of what you know. But you got to make sure you change. With it's very hard. You got to make sure you're balancing it for different play styles. You know, strong players, weak players, and so. Ultimately, there's more um, art than science to it, but I do right. use a lot of, um, I, I, and some of these I could do myself, but I also have some friends who are particularly good. I, I usually build Monte Carlo simulations, and a Monte Carlo simulation, if you're not, um, is non-deterministic. So in other words, you're, you're rolling dice a lot of times, or you're dealing cards a lot of times to see what statistically happens. 
And so, like, when I did uh, Fort Sumter, I ran um, 600,000 trials of dealing out cards in a game. So basically the, the computer mathematically dealt out um, equivalent of 300,000 games because, remember, 600,000, you know, each side getting the cards. Um, and, you know, I came up with, I think there was, like, a, like a single-digit number of hands that would have been unplayable out of 600,000. I go, that's probably okay. <laughs> You know, if you have, if you have that, if you're the, the poor schmo who had it happen once, it'll only happen once. Right, right, right. <laughs> Get over it. Don't worry, your next hand will be fine. Yeah, yeah. The, the next one will be fine. Um, or I also build mathematically. So if there is a probability of getting a bad hand out of a deck like an Empire of the Sun, mathematically it's very low. You're going to get two bad hands. So the whole Japanese, so I built the game with, see, let's talk about simulation for a second. So. Believe it or not, when the Japanese launched their attack, they didn't know how it was going to come out. They weren't card counting. <laughs> they didn't know how to thin the deck. <laughs> they didn't know what events were going to happen, right? They just didn't know. And so I want to make sure that every time you go through the game, there is some challenge to you. Otherwise, it's a script. I will tell you that the market loves scripted games more than they like the more open format that I favor. Um, that's fine. The other way around that is to do mandatory events. I've always had mandatory events. I just don't have a whole deck of them. <laughs> right. But, but um, there'll, there'll be some. There'll be some. There's always. Right. I mean, even in We the People, you had the end of the war cards. You had uh, the Declaration of Independence. You might have heard of that one. <laughs> you had, you know. Um, Franklin goes, you know, the Franklin's effect on the French. Those were all mandatory events. So you couldn't dump those because right. they, they, were, they were too big a deal of the story. But I, the whole deck wasn't that way. Right. So there is some mandatory. And then uh, Empire of the Sun only has two. You have Tojo Resigns and, depending on the, and in Manchuria. Those are the only two mandatory cards. So uh, uh, For the People has foreign intervention and Emancipation Proclamation. So you can't. Nobody's going to dump, you know, the emancipation may or may not happen, but it's, it's coming, you're going to see it hit the table as a possible event. So I do understand that, and so you want, those, those parts of the story are very important, but player skill has to matter, otherwise, well, now if you play solitaire, player skill doesn't matter, and so now we have, you know, I, I, one of the big things with Empire of the Sun, um, i still still mad at Gene about that, uh, you're making me do it, um, <laughs> Well, that was brilliant, uh, so I, I apologize, Gene. I'm really not mad at you. But, I mean, I blew a whole summer doing Erasmus once, you know, you know, two months sitting in Cape Cod. It was very nice, and I just sat there with a pad on the beach going, like, how the hell do I do this thing? Now, people will criticize it. I don't blame them. It's not perfect, but guess what? It wasn't easy. Now, as I wrote my, my current issue, I wrote a whole thing about solitaire systems. You know, my first learning was I'm not particularly good at them. <laughs> You know, I think John Butterfield's like the best at them. Uh, my good friend John Butterfield, no I think he's really got a knack. But he, but he actually builds the game like with pairs, and you know, it's like right on the map. You know, so it's right. it's like a it's I, like a. I think one of the things that he does is different. After talking to him a couple yeah. weeks ago, is that he when he starts design step one, he's thinking solitaire. Yeah, and and I am not, yeah. I, and and that maybe well, what I did now, I just so happens that what I'm working on right now um, is the reprint to my one and only solitaire game, which is Peloponnesian War, and it's got. But again, I'm trying to do, you know, I'm dealing, and Joel Topin, God bless him, is helping me out with uh, playing it. 
and he and people think I just don't think the way that people think. You know, I, I, the, he's like, well, if I kind of finesse it this way, so they're always trying to manipulate the system, and and I get that, and I'm so I'm trying to, you know, you know, trying to cut the hard edges off of some of that. Even still, uh, I think I've come up with what he's doing and how to, you know, and and it was done by others. So it's I've seen it over the years. So now I'm just trying to come up with a simple, elegant way to kind of kill mathematically kill the strategy yeah stop it mathematically which i've already figured out it's not hard but i had to re-see all the little tricks people like to play and i'm kind of going if you're playing solid here why do you you're not playing a computer game why do you care you know you're looking for isn't it the experience and the history that you're looking for but no but that's not true that's right i mean they they want to they want to they think they're playing me and they're not or, or they're playing a puzzle Right. I mean, yeah, I, the puzzle's still there. The puzzle's I'm convinced still there. a significant number of people, when they, especially the the the, the bot players, yeah, uh, they're 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 working a puzzle, right? And so they they take the rules and work the puzzle as opposed to play the historicity. Yeah, but I think that the goal is for the history to come out. But I actually I've been getting more notes. A lot of people play um, coin games all four bots. They're not even playing the game. They just run it. They're just watching the the robots play. It's almost like TV, I guess. Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. reality TV. Right. Let me ask you a weird question. I was thinking about this the other day. So, October War was your first game, kind of. Yeah, it was. I was. Yeah. A, 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 so, so your I read Hardy, uh, Terry, known as I read Terry Hardy, who's since passed away. That was very sad. I like that guy. Uh, he was the head of R and D, and he was the designer. But I was supposed to do Mech War '77, and uh, as I told you, I, I, I didn't. And then at some point, you know, so his name is obviously it was my first game published, uh, but uh, but he was he just let me, he just let me do what I wanted, right? And, it, and I really like what came out of it, actually. Yeah, no, I love October War. So he, so here's the thought: so your first ten games were probably hex encounter games, right? Of course. And then all are. So so what about the last ten games? Uh, last ten Gettysburg. Games, uh, well, Gettysburg is hex encounter for right. sure. Um. Uh, well, Empire of the Sun is certainly a hex encounter game, right. partially. Is that in your last ten? Yeah, it's definitely in my last ten. Uh, I'm trying to think back. I mean, I guess we'd have to go back to Gulf Strike. Um, so what does that mean? I mean, what are the implications? I mean, what What does that tell us? I, I, well, again, see... It's a trend, th- right? No, it's not. See, I, I... People in today's world are very focused on mechanics, you know, and I'm very focused on the event. And I'll do with the event whatever it takes to get the best verisimilitude of the situation the, the, and fun, you know. And, and one of the things about Hex Encounter is, is the, hex, the, the only advantage of hexagons is that they tile a surface evenly and they regularize movement and stuff like that. But, but there's a lot more interesting movement systems out there. So, you know, you got to move something on a board. Right. And one of the things that uh, I learned from Dunnigan is there has to be the illusion of movement. So, you know, so I like, you know, like in Pericles, you know, I got a piece here. And I can move it across the whole board. You know, I just shifted her from here to there. And, and that kind of feels good. Like it's like it's like the big sweeping movements. Hexagons, you got to go one, two, three, you know. So when that, and I only did it in Empire of the Sun because aircraft range is a pain in the neck to calculate. You write more rules. If you have, if you look at most of the Pacific War games that have come out recently, they're all um, area games. Like uh, the, the, the brilliant, I want to say, Victory in the Pacific was like that. Um, uh, but when you do that, you have to write a whole bunch of rules 
to handle range. And when you're next to a guy, you can move one space adjacent. You, you know, you got to do all this stuff. And that's a, to me, that's, a, that's more work than just saying three. Count to three. Everybody can count. Even my, by the way, my, even my granddaughter, who's 21 months, now knows how to count to three. She does it all the time. So counting the three, I know for a fact, is a really simple skill. And if the plane has a range of three, everybody can go one, two, three. And so that's easier than remembering 18 rules about, oh, I'm adjacent to him, but it's, it's a coastal hex, a coastal area versus a sea area. It's like... That drives me crazy. Right. So I only get to use the mechanic if it makes it faster or more fun or something like that. But I'm not going to do it just because everybody likes that mechanic. That, to me, is just dumb. Uh, I'll do what I want to do. And so pe- some people say, well, I hate point and, you know, what they call whisker, you know, point-to-point movement. Well, it's actually in for the, in the, in for the people, um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, you have, it's appropriate because if I don't do that, I have to give you a lot of supply line rules. So they couldn't go everywhere in that right. period of time. And the same thing, we, the, there, was, there was only the post road, right? You did, we did what we've both done, American Revolution, right? right? There was the post road. There were no other real roads other than local, you know, trails and, you know, animal tracks in, in the middle of nowhere. So to have a hexagon map so where you can't move in most of it is just a waste of effort. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to write rules about, oh, yeah, you can only move here, which is one-tenth of the spaces on the map, but the rest of it's there, so you see hexagons. Right. I mean, that's dumb. Right. So why do it? Right. Uh, then area makes sense. So you would agree that it's, uh, you know, innovation's too much, but, but at least a, a, a mechanism that provides a little more elegance, easier to use. I think it's appropriate to the amount of load you want to put on the player. Right. And again... When I can do, so again, let's look at for the people. I can now, I have a situation where I don't have to have a complicated set of supply rules because you can look at the, the connections are all on the point to point. And you go, well, why can't it go over there? They couldn't. Right. You know, they, they didn't go into the middle of the Appalachian. There's no battles in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. Right. There are no Appalachian Mountain spaces. Right. <laughs> they didn't go there because they couldn't go there. West Virginia is an interesting example. Um, West Virginia has macadamized roads, which means they're all-weather roads. They had basically spent the money in the early 19th century to weatherproof the roads in, you know, in Virginia. So they're not quite railroads, but you could take wagons on them in bad weather you know, and, mm-hmm. and get from here to there. So you can move pretty quickly through West Virginia. People are, well, you can't move in the West Virginia mountains. That's not true in this period. I have mm-hmm. maps of it you know, where they, put, they actually put these roads in. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, so, but they didn't do that, you know, in gaps, you know, right, you know, right. uh, Cumberland Gap is the Cumberland Gap because there's mountains. You know? <laughs> right. So to have hexagons of the Cumberland Gap where you say, you know, uh, prohibited movement or across your hundred moving points or something stupid like, well, why bother? Right. So again, I don't, I, I want to tailor whatever I'm doing. I'm tailoring it to the situation to get rid of. I want to get rid of stuff that you don't need to pay attention to. And if I do a hex counter game. I'm only going to do a hex encounter game if it's if it's helpful to the game. Mm-hmm. And when I did the Gettysburg game, it was actually helpful, uh, you know, because it's, it's easier to move around and there is kind of a linear dimension to it. So yeah, hexagons make sense there. But right. I'll do whatever I need to do. Right. When I did Pericles, what I was really focusing on it was a political military game. And so when you look in Thucydides, which is this ancient text on the on that particular war, what did they talk about? was more important than how you move around the map. 
So they didn't. T- so when you're in the assembly, you're not talking about okay, we're going to go from hex one seven two one to one seven two two to one. You know, they didn't talk about. It. They said we're going to fight in this theater of war. That's where we're going. And you didn't use those words. I mean, we're going to fight in you know Boeotia. We're going to fight in Aetolia. That's how they talked about it. So I want you to talk about it that way. I don't want you to be counting hexagons, how to count right. from here to there. Right. And then the thing that always drove me nuts about the hexagonal resolution is that sometimes I'm a half movement point away from where I want to be. Yeah, that's, right? and that's and, the counting thing. Yeah. Right, and that's the counting problem. Yeah. Um, and also odds. You know, I, I've gone more toward um, non I mean, I've used them, but I try not. To, I've been going more towards, um, like, size of things shooting, you know, more of that kind of thing, because cause counting up odds is a pain in the neck, because people go, oh, I'm going to do this so I can get the extra half point here, you know, right. and that becomes like this right. math drill and just slows the game down again. Right. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but frankly, it's a, it's a relic of what we used to do, right? Yeah. It's well, so it, ingrained in our psyche. Well, you, you got to remember something. And actually, I have... Was it three times? I've spoken to Charles Roberts three times in my life. You know, he's the guy who created the, the you know, the, the hex encounter mechanic right. and the CRT, the, the odds ratio CRT. So this all goes back to 1959, right, when he created this stuff. He was, in, he was, in, he was a, well, I met him late in his life. He was, he was a very uh, irascible kind of guy, but he was a good friend of Tom Shaw's. And Tom would go, Mark, have you ever met Charles Roberts? I said, how are you doing? And he would then... I don't know about all these newfangled mechanics. I, the, my games were similar. You know, it was that kind of guy. You know, it's like, get off my lawn. <laughs> it was that kind of guy. You know, get off my lawn, boy. <laughs> but obviously, you know, very innovative. I mean, he's, right. he, if you look at the kind of games he did, uh, I knew Sid Saxon. Sid Saxon was this incredible. And, you know, he didn't, wasn't a war gamer, but he's, I mean, you prolific, look at the, yeah. a prolific guy. I, I once was in his apartment in New York. Dunnigan was meeting him, and he said, you know, t- I was having lunch with Dunnigan. He said, come along, and I went with him. And I got into, I was, so I was once in Sid Saxon's apartment, which was effectively, he had the largest game collection I had ever seen, uh, and it wasn't war games. I mean, it was, you know, mm-hmm. Faxon 5 kind of stuff, you right, know. Right. But he had all of it, and it was tons of it. And in fact, when he passed away, uh, which was a long time ago, I remember his... Um, his son came by SPI. Dunnigan was trying to help him sell it. I mean, nobody wanted it. But now that would be like, you know, you could start a museum with what was that, that right. guy's apartment. Right. Uh, it, was, it was impressive. Right. That's awesome. So um, <clears throat> let me hit you with one last question. Sure. Get you something to eat. I know you're getting lightheaded. I'm not light. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm just teasing. So, so um, with your love for science fiction. Yeah. When have we seen a science fiction game from you recently? Um, so... Here's the here's my problem with doing so if I if somebody if you have one in the works you can talk about it because nobody listens to this podcast I think you're you're doing fine I, what twenty thousand <laughs> downloads or something I sort I, I pay attention um, so so here's the thing so John Butterfield my good friend John Butterfield just did a game called Space Corp okay he's using his brother-in-law's books is the basis of it so if somebody said to me look I have this science fiction if somebody would do the the, the cool part, the hard part, right? Write the backstory. I'll do a game on it. What I haven't done uh, is sat down and figured out what a good backstory would be so I could do a game about it. Otherwise, it's, I might as well just do Pericles. You know, I could do Pericles in space, you know? Right. But would that be interesting? Now, Twilight Imperium, in my mind, is the, um, you know, it's, 
they're trying to get to Trantor, you know, it's the foundation, you know, so I could always, I would have to, for me, again, I have to write the backstory, which would be a lot of work to really think that through, or I'd have to take a well-known like Dune, I think there was a game called Rex that did, took Dune and redid it, and just, you know, or somebody would have to give me a license and say, look, here's a series of books, you know, you know, mention me in your uh, game and I'll do the game about it, but I, that's really what's held me back is the, you know, the same thing with fantasy. When I did, right. I did the Conan game at SPI, but it was Conan, right? I mean, you right. know, uh, Sprague de Camp and um, obviously Robert Howard in, in the original, uh, you know, they wrote it. So I just had right. to do a cool game. Right. So history solves that problem for me. I, I, the backstory's already been written, so I can just kind of right. go in there. It's funny. I thought it, w- it would be uh, um, doing something in fantasy or sci-fi might relieve the burden of having to follow a history. But it creates the problem of having no history, history. right? Right. And and because so. you know what am I doing? Okay, it's a spaceship. Well, what's? I mean, there was a really one of the cooler books. I ever, you ever read the book um, Forever War? Yes. See, that was one of the first books that really opened my eyes to, like, oh, science fiction and physics, right? <laughs> you know, and Delta V's, and you know, like, and when, in uh, in like when you if you play um, High Frontier, which is you don't actually know how to play, but just just figuring out how to, to launch a rocket and fly it around the uni- and fly around the solar system is kind of cool, right? You know, so um, uh, my good friend Jeff Engelstein did the Expanse, which is again. So if you tell me some cool, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, Mark, we've got this cool property. Would you would a game on it?" I'd, I'd snap it up in a second, but right. nobody's asked me because right. there's better designers out there that they'd rather go to. So I don't get the I don't get the assignment. Well, maybe they don't know that you're open to it, right? So. Oh, I don't. I just think there are better better known people than me. I'm like a I'm a I'm a small fry. Uh, nobody right. talks to me. Right. Nobody knows who the hell I am. It's right. fine. Well, we know better. Well, no, no. I'm not. I'm not being falsely modest. I'm saying that in the war game community, I'm very well known, but. You know, the guys in Asmodee wouldn't, if I walked in and say, I'm Mark Herman, they go, okay. Right. <laughs> you know, right. They wouldn't know who I was. No, we're in a, we're in a niche. I'm a no niche. Doubt. No and doubt. It, used to, it yeah. wasn't a niche when I started, but it right. is the niche, and I, I'm okay with that. Right, right. But I can do a lot of things. I've done, you know, I actually had, I, we played Ribbit, right? We yes. had a good time playing Ribbit. Yeah, we did play Ribbit. That was great. That was great. I feel like I could beat you now. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, you but probably I could. But I didn't bring it. After, after three plays of being dismantled at Ribbit, I think I have a chance. Um, but... Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of opportunity and a lot of opportunity outside war games. I think for us, but you know, at the, at the same time, you like me have done other things in your life. Oh yeah. So this isn't about selling a billion games or making the greatest game ever known, right? This is more about just quenching your thirst for yeah. for modeling history and and yeah. playing with some friends. Yeah. I, what I want to do is I want to be, you know, I, all the things that I might have to. do, what I would have to do to have even a shot at what you just talked about, I don't want to do. Right. So I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to look at the situation. I'm going to, what I can guarantee people is whatever I do, it'll be authentic. Right. You know, it's, it is to what I, I did the game that I wanted to do that I want to play on that topic. It, it, it's going to have as many new or non new mechanics as I want it to have. And, and people go, and, and any criticism they have about it, you knock yourself out. Right. You That's know? great. It'll be consensual. <laughs> It'll be, you knock yourself out. You know, right. hate my games, hate me, I don't care. That's awesome. But I'm going to do what I want to do. So how about we go get lunch? Lunch sounds good. All right.
So that's a wrap for this podcast. Thank you for listening. I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd post a review on iTunes. I'll publish some notes and references on my website, conflictsimulations.com. Join the Herald on Games Guild on Board Game Geek and leave me a comment with your thoughts and ideas. Thanks to the Orange County, California-based band, the Rayford Brothers, for a touch of rockabilly. Check them out at therayfordbrothers.com. I'll close with a special thanks to Mark Herman. And that's it for me. As always, I'm patiently awaiting the next episode of Bruce Garrick's Wild Weasel, and I'll be back soon.